0: We preached this morning on just keep walking. And we preached out of Exodus 14 and the children of Israel going through the Red Sea. You know, there's times in your life and mine where we just need to knuckle down and just keep going. We don't have to understand everything that's going on around us. We just need to know what direction we're supposed to be headed in. Somebody say amen to that. You said amen this morning. I figured you'd say it again tonight. Come on. Uh Amen. Uh, there's times in our life where we don't have to have a solution to everything. We just need to know what direction to be going. And there's times that we have to just keep walking. But in Proverbs chapter 24, Solomon, the wisest man other than wisdom himself, the Lord Jesus, the wisest man that ever uh, lived, uh, Solomon uh, makes an observation about something he's seen a difference, a discrepancy between the behavior of just men and wicked men. And he says in verse 16, A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. I preached this morning on just keep walking. Tonight I don't want to preach on this thought. Get up and keep going. You know, the truth is, there's going to be times in your life and mine that we mess up. Times that we fail, times that we fall times that we let the Lord down, that we disappoint those that are counting on us. And if we're not careful, failure will become final to us. We'll allow ourselves to be buried in the shame and guilt and discouragement of the failures that we've experienced. I've known a lot of people that were doing pretty good and then they messed up and instead of getting back up, they let that failure bury them. Let me tell you, you don't have to do that in your Christian life. The only person that says that failure is final is the devil. Certainly his failure is final, but to God's people, failure is never final. We can always choose, and not only can we, but should we choose, to get up, dust ourselves off, go on, and serve God on another day. Solomon makes a few statements here, and I just want to notice them in passing. They tell me we've got a bunch of cookies or something we're eating tonight, and uh, so I know you prefer those to me, amen, so we'll get you out of here quick as we can. When we read this verse, if we just sort of read it piecemeal, Little by little, then we find five instructive truths that the Word of God gives us. Notice, uh, just beginning with just the first four words. What does the Bible say here in verse 16? It says, for a just man. Uh, Here we have hinted at the definition of the just man. What is a just person? What does it mean to be just before God? Well, the Bible teaches us that the term just in relation to a man standing with God has basically two definitions. Uh, First off, there is a positional definition. This is a positional description of people that know God and have had righteousness imputed unto them. Job asks the question, how can a man be just with God? And the truth is, there's nothing a man can do in and of himself to make himself just with God. God has to justify us in order for us to be just with God. Now what does it mean for a man to be justified? Well, uh, I've often told this, you've probably heard it more than once from me, uh, but we even, we have a little hint at it in what we call word processors today, uh, but young people don't even know what the term word processor means. It's a, it's a, it's an app, you know, uh, but th- that's made for typing out things on a computer. And you'll see if you look on uh, something like Microsoft Word or uh, something like that, Google Docs, you'll find a little button up there. There'll usually be three, maybe four of them. And they'll have all these little bitty lines that are on this little button. And some of them, one of the buttons, all the lines will start from the same point on the left side of the page. And then the next one, all the points will start on the right side. That's your right, amen? That's not stage right. Your right uh, of the page. And then some of them, they'll all start at the same point in the middle, extending outward, and then some of them, and I like this one the best. It makes a perfect square, uh, and I guess my OCD likes that. And that. that button's called "justified All." So there's justified left. That means to set everything beginning at the point left. Justified right to set everything beginning at the point right. Justified center to have it all centered right in the middle. And then I like that justified all. You know what it means? Every way you look at it, all around the margins, it has been set. At a standard right position. In other words, the text of that document has been justified. It has been set at the right position. You know that's exactly what the word just or justified means in your Bible as well. We have been set in an appropriate or right position with God. When a man is born, he is born in a lost condition. He is not right with God when he is born. Uh we must be made right with God by being born again. We have to have that sin problem that's between us and God dealt with because it sets us on a wrong standing with God and that justifying uh has taken place and personally takes place in the life of the believer through the death of Christ on Calvary. Listen to how Romans chapter number 3 describes the idea of justification. It says therefore By the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin, verse 20. In other words, nothing you can do can justify you. Even the best things you can do cannot justify you. It says in verse 21, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So the righteousness of God by the faith of Jesus Christ. In other words, that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ or the righteousness that God accepts that has been expressed and manifested by the faith of Jesus Christ. That's His perfect life, in other words. How He lived in perfect righteousness And kept all of God's commandments and all of God's requirements and uh, pleased God His Father in all ways. It says this in verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, excepting one, right? That's the Lord Jesus Christ, because He's equal with God. In other words, nothing you could do or I could do, our righteousness could never be enough, because we have come short of the glory of God. But the Bible says that Jesus, He is the express image of God's Person, he's the brightness of his glory. He is the very glory of God. So he has achieved that through his perfect life and perfect character and nature. Then it says in this verse 24, being justified, talking about you and I, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God, we've not reached it ourselves. We've not attained to it. We're not perfect, but we have been made perfect. We've been set in a right position. We have been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How would that happen? Verse 25, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. Now what that means is a sacrifice meant for the taking away of sin. In the Old Testament, they had what they called the atonement. And that word, kaphar, meant a covering of sin. In fact, it's the same word that's used about that, that mud that, uh, that Noah used uh, to pitch the outside of the ark. Same word that's used about the mud that was used uh, to uh, seal the outside of the ark of bull rushes that Moses was put in. And that's what the sacrifices of blood of bulls and goats did in the Old Testament. It covered over a man's sin, but it could not deal with that man's sin. Uh, But the Lord Jesus, He's not just an atonement, uh, but He is a propitiation. He cleanses of sin. He washes from sin. And so God set forth Him whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation to take away our sins through faith in His blood to declare, listen carefully, this is justification, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Here's what justification is. God looks at you and I and says, you're not right with me. You don't stand whole before me because you have a sin problem and uh but God says, "I will instead of taking your unrighteousness I'll take that unrighteousness of yours and put it on Jesus, and I'll take his righteousness and I'll put it on you so that you can stand before me just like you as him it says in verse twenty six to declare I say at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now you're going to say, well, preacher, boy, we've departed a long way from or from uh, Proverbs. No, here's what I want you to understand. It's talking about people that in the eyes of God are right with God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how a man is just with God. It is a positional description, but then it would be lost on us if we did not recognize that it is also a practical description. A just man is not just someone that is saved that has had the righteousness of God imputed unto them. But in a practical sense, and probably in many ways in the sense in which Solomon meant it, is it is a man who is just or unbiased, noble, upright in the way that he conducts himself. Now, this is very similar to modern day Christianity. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Uh, Well, uh, the, the, the fact of being saved and the life of being separated do not always live in the same person. Uh, A person might be saved by the grace of God, uh, but sadly do not live for the Lord the way that they ought to. Uh, A person is made just fundamentally by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and now they stand whole before God. God judicially treats them uh, just like He was treating His beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But very often they don't necessarily live in a righteous way. There's a great many that don't live in a righteous way. Can I tell you, God intended when you got saved for you to live like a saved person. God didn't just desire to save your soul from hell. He also sought to save your life from sin. He didn't save you to live like the world. He saved you to make something different out of you. And so Solomon's talking about a man that is not only righteous in his standing before God, but a man that lives in a righteous way. We see the definition of the just man. But now wait a minute. Let's read a little further. For a just man... Notice this next word. What does he do? He falleth. You know, here's the reality. Uh, it don't matter how saved you are. And we say that tongue-in-cheek. because You're either saved or you're not saved. Uh, but some folks think they're more saved than others. Somebody say, Man. it's like, what is that? We're, we're all equal, but some are more equal than others. <laughs> it don't matter how saved that you believe you are. The truth is, there's going to be times in your life that you're going to mess up. I wish that that this verse, the truth of it, were not a reality. I wish I could tell you that you can get so holy that you ain't never going to mess up. Some people believe that. Uh, but they've got to uh suspend disbelief pretty viciously to believe that. You get around people, no matter how consecrated they are, you're going to see that this is... Well, let me just say it this way. We find here in this statement, a just man falleth. Does he fall? Yes, indeed he falls. This is a reality of the saved man. There's going to be times in your life, don't matter if you're saved or not, Uh, And in in many ways, there is a more keen awareness of it because you are saved. Uh, You probably didn't even know all the things you did wrong before you got born again. You probably all of a sudden learned what a rascal you were when you got saved. You all of a sudden realized all the things that displeased God. And so you became aware of the fact that that you do indeed make mistakes. You do indeed mess up. And if somebody told you when you got saved that that meant that that was it, that was the last, you were never going to make a mistake again. You was never going to sin. You was never going to mess up. You was never going to do the wrong thing. I'm sorry, but they lied to you. It is a reality of the, of the saved man. You get around God's people and it's funny, man. It's funny how soon we forget this basic fundamental truth that even though a man may be saved, that does not mean that he is all of a sudden exempted from free will and choice in his life. No, uh, you know, if uh, if the Son's made you free, you're free indeed. That means you can make good decisions and you can make bad ones. If you don't believe you can make bad ones, hang around Baptists, and you'll learn. Just because you're saved doesn't mean that you won't make bad decisions sometimes. Just because you're saved doesn't mean that you won't disappoint the Lord. Just because you're saved does not mean that you'll not commit sin. The Bible says this. You remember John said, my beloved, these things write unto you that you sin not. And uh, lest, uh, before they could even open their mouth, he said, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It's almost like he says, you know, beloved, these things write unto you that you sin not. And somebody said, oh, you mean that we can't? And he said, no, now, wait a minute. I didn't say you weren't going to sin. I said, I'm hoping you don't sin. In other words, of course God's desire is that we not live in sin. Of course God's desire is that we not mess up. Uh, But the truth is, He gave us an advocate with the Father because He knows who and what we are. He knoweth our frame that we're but dust. And He knows we're going to make mistakes. It is a reality of the saved man. But now, wait a minute. If this word just has a positional element to it, in other words, how God sees us. We've been made right with God through the blood of Jesus. But even though we have, we're still going to sin and mess up. Don't forget about that practical element of it as well. Not only a saved man, but now I want you to listen. Even a separated man. Even a striving man. Even a consecrated man. I'm talking about a sincere person. I'm saying, you may be saved by the grace of God and you may be doing everything that is expected of a Christian. You may be going to church faithfully. You may be reading your Bible. You may be praying. You may be walking with God. Uh, You may be sharing the gospel. You may be witnessing to people. You may be striving to walk by faith. You do everything right. And guess what? You're still flesh and bone. It's a reality not just of the saved man, but of the sanctified man too. Even folks that's made their mind up to live for God. You're still going to mess up sometimes. I I know this seems almost like, like silly how elementary it is, But hey, we need to understand this tonight because some people's perspective about Christianity is I'm not going to set down that road of, of consecration if I can't have a perfect track record. I, let me, I, I got news. Ain't nobody got a perfect track record except one. And let me tell you, God's grace is so good. He's already done decided that his lap times are going to be, uh, they're going to go for all of us, right? Already decided that his record is going to stand for all of us. The truth of the matter is, it don't matter how dedicated you are, you're going to mess up from time to time. You're going to sin. You're going to do things that disappoint the Lord. We see the disappointment of the just man. A just man fall. I wish I could say a just man never fall. I No doubt Solomon would have loved to have been able to say that, but even looking at his own life, he's the wisest man to ever live, and his life is, is marked and stained by disgrace because he made a very... Uh, grave error in judgment. He knew. He understood. No matter how much you know God and love God, uh, as long as we're in this vessel, this body, as long as we're dragging old Adam with us, uh, we're going to have times that we're going to mess up. A just man falleth. But then I see this. It doesn't just say a just man. It doesn't just say a just man falleth. But it goes a little further. It says a just man falleth seven times. You know what I find here? I find that very often there is perpetuity in our failure. You know what? Uh, The truth is, it ain't just that you're going to mess up. Sometimes you're going to mess up a whole bunch. So you ain't just going to mess up once. Oftentimes, uh, you're going to face the same battle over and over and over and over again. Boy, we got some funny ideas about things. And I've thought a lot about this lately. We have this idea about living for God and about consecration. that that when we're struggling with something, we're going to come down to an altar and we're going to put that thing on the altar and we're going to get up and leave it there. Can I tell you this? This altar is not about what you leave here. It's about what you get here. You can leave it at the altar. And guess what? It's going to be waiting on you when you get back to your seat. The idea that we just go and sort of dump in in, in this exasperated way our burdens... And then all of a sudden we have been unburdened of them and and now I'm just not going to struggle anymore. Listen, if you can find that in the Bible, please show it to me because I'd love for it to be true. But that's not what I find is the experience of the Christian life. I find that rather than what we leave here, it's about what we get here. It's about coming down and, and getting right with God and asking God to give us the strength and the help to go back out and face it and fight it another day and live for God and mortify self and flesh and die daily and commit ourselves to glorify God and to honor Him in our lives. And I'm just telling you this. I, I, there may be some things, and I hope it's true for you, there may be some battles that you fight them one time and the war is won. But most of the struggles in your Christian life are going to be in perpetuity. You're going to fight that battle. There's going to be times you win it. There's going to be times you lose it. Uh, but day by day, you're going to have to come back to the Lord and ask for strength to fight it again. I see that there is perpetuity in our failures. But then, you know, it's interesting. If if the Bible had been talking about me, it, it would have said something like, "There a, a, a just man falleth like seven million times. But instead it says seven times. In other words, the Holy Ghost is very specific about the number of times. Well, that's no surprise because numbers bear some significance in the Bible. Now there's some people that that they got their integers above their you know equators or whatever I don't know uh, and and you can go so deep in that thing of numerology that all of a sudden my my uh, my father-in-law used to I was talking to him about it one day and he he said you can go so deep in that thing that you turn around and look around and you wake up and you're in China you know and, and you don't know how you even got there you know you had all these theories about this number means this and then you divide it by this number and that means that and then you multiply it and this I ain't got enough toes to get into all that. But I am saying this, that numbers obviously bear some significance in the Bible. And specific numbers have specific significance. Did you know the number seven is the number of perfection in the Bible? You remember on the seventh day, God rested. He didn't rest because He's tired. He rested because He's done. The, The number seven in the Bible, it has the idea of God perfecting something, maturing it, bringing it to completion, and consummation. You know what it reminds me? These two things here. One, there is providence in our failures. Uh, The number seven is a divine number. It's a number that deals with the knowledge of God. And I would say this, and I want to be careful how I say it. God's not pleased when we mess up, but He's not surprised either. Uh, God's heart is not blessed when we mess up, but nor are His plans ruined. He anticipates that we're going to make mistakes in our life. And you know, the Bible deals with this in Romans chapter number 8. This is a very familiar passage of scripture, but you know, sometimes we, sometimes we quote scripture and it's out of context. So I want to read a little context to you so you know I'm in context here. Romans 8 verse 26 says this, likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities. What is that? Our weaknesses? Our inability, right? Our deficits. It deals with with the areas where we're not enough. It says, For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now, Paul could say that about our successes, but why would he? It's not hard to imagine how if I win somebody to Christ, that works to God's glory. It's not hard to imagine how if I raise my kids up for the Lord, that works to God's glory. I don't have to lean on the providence of God to see uh, glory and sanctity in my successes. But in mine infirmities, there I need a little help. (laughs) There I need to be reminded that there ain't nothing I can do that's so bad that it's going to mess up God's plan to rule this universe. And I need to be reminded that even in my failures, there's providence. God don't never sit back and go, well, Toby done messed it all up. (laughs) Other people say that, but God never says that. Uh, Now, it's not to say that I don't make mistakes. It's not to say I don't mess up. It's not to say I don't mess things up sometimes. But I'm saying this, there's none of it that takes God by surprise. Now, is that a reason to fall? No, but it's sure enough is a reason to get back up. It's not a reason to say, hey, I can just mess up. There ain't no consequences. because we know that's not true. But it's sure enough a reason to say, I ain't messed it up so bad that it ain't worth getting back up and going on. And that's what we think, isn't it? We think to ourselves, I have, I have so broke things that there's no point in getting up and going on. Well, that's how a wicked man thinks, but that's not how a just man thinks. There's providence in our failures, but then I can't get away from this. There is perfecting in our failures. That's what that number seven is. It's the number of perfection. And not necessarily denoting the idea of, of wholeness or soundness, but denoting the idea of completion, of development. The Number seven, it denotes the idea of a, of a finished work. Something that has been brought to its pinnacle, to its apex. You know what it tells me? Hey, God is <laughs> God's going to keep allowing me to fail. In my life, until one of these days when I am in a perfect condition. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, one of these days, this tabernacle will be put off. And this vile body be made like unto His glorious body. One of these days, I'm going to be given a perfect body. But until that day, yeah, there's going to be times I mess up. But in the messing up, you know what God is doing? This is how good God is. God is developing me into more of what I need to be for Christ. Every time you fail, every time you mess up, you you scoot an inch away from what He wants you to be. But every time you get back up and go on and serve Him, you take a whole step in the right direction. What I'm saying is in those failures, God can grow you and mold you and shape you into being more like the Lord Jesus Christ. What is He doing? He's trying to tear down who you were and replace it with Jesus. This is happening to our country. Uh, In our country, there are people that are trying to tear down the existing system to replace it with something different. Uh, And I, you know, the problem is, one, they got no right, two, they ain't got sense enough to do it. (laughs) But you know, God's doing that in your, in your identity and in mine. What is He doing? He's tearing down that old, and He's putting in its place the identity of Jesus Christ. So, though we certainly shouldn't rejoice in the fact that we fail and fall and mess up and make mistakes, we should recognize that every time. You know, the thing that has led to a lot of a lot of this movement gaining way in our country is the complete and utter moral failure of our institutions. It's easy to turn people against institutions when they're shown to be corrupt in the first place. Well, hey, there's a, there's a simile, there's a, there's a parallel there. The more that 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 your heart and mind is shown. The weakness, the brokenness, the infirmity of the old man and the old identity. The easier it is to say, you know, I can't trust in that. The arm of flesh will always fail me. And instead, I need the identity of Christ in me. A just man falleth. Not only does he fall, he falleth seven times. But let's not stop there. Look what it says. I like this. A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. I see not only the Definition and disappointment and development of the just man, but I see the determination of the just man. Now, I think there are two things that can be said about this going along those same two thoughts concerning positional and practical. Positional being how God chooses to see us for, for matters of judgment, right? And practical being, of course, God, how, how God, of course, knows us to be, right? How we are, how we behave and how we conduct ourselves. And it tells me this. When a man's born again, when he knows God, it gives him what he needs to be able to get up from his failures and go on and live for another day. You know why? The lost man thinks whatever he is, good or bad, he is that by virtue of his own strength. A saved man understands that the best part about him, the redeemable part about him, the only appreciable part about him is that part that comes from God and belongs to God in the first place. And so he's not surprised by his failure, but nor is he stopped by his failure. Because with a right understanding, a right assessment of his own weakness and infirmity, he doesn't have to be shocked. You ever met somebody that was just absolutely shocked they made a mistake? (laughs) I've met people that just couldn't imagine that they made a mistake. But you see, when a person gets born again, he's already give up on that old man. He's already judged that old man to be worthless and nailed him to the cross of Calvary. And so for him, of course, he's going to get back up because he wasn't wearing rose-colored glasses about who he was in the first place. You've got to be lost before you get saved. He already knew that old man was a lost cause. And so when the old man rears up and creates havoc in his life again and again and again, he's not surprised by it. He already knew he was the prey. He already knew he was a rascal. He already understood that only in Christ is there any hope and any help. But then I would say this. Why does he get back up again? Because he recognizes that he is not there to be a victor. He is there to be a vessel. And all he needs to do is just yield to God and allow God to get glory out of his life. Never in the Bible does it say victory belongs to us. It always belongs to God. We are not the victor. We are the vessel. We are the one that allows God to work and to use our life, and therefore we look at it and say, "If my job here is is not to be, <laughs> it, my job here is not to be able to magnify and glorify an unbroken record of dedication, of of self discipline, but rather to be a fit vessel for the grace and glory of God, then we understand that our failures, our brokenness, do not prevent us from God being able to use us." And therefore, there's no reason our failure should be final, Because the grace of God has already saw past it and already taken into account for it and already has a plan with it. I'm saying this, the just man, it, being just with God, knowing Christ, puts you in a spirit and frame of mind as to say, why would I give up? I never thought I was the one that could handle this in the first place. Of course, when I lean on me, I mess up because I used to lean on me in the past, and I always messed up. But when I started leaning on Him, I found out He was enough. Therefore, if I just get back up, go on, dust myself off, ask God's forgiveness, ask His strength, ask His help, and go on and serve. The same God that was amazing before will be amazing still. The same God that was faithful then will be faithful now. The just man falleth seven times and riseth. Up again, but then I thought about this, you know, part of the reason he is just in a practical sense is he refuses to be beat the first time that he makes a mistake. Again, it's, it's just the epitome of pride and hubris to say if I can't do it perfectly, I won't do it at all. The fact is in your Christian life, if your standard is I'm not going to serve God unless I can be guaranteed I'm never going to fail him, never going to disappoint him, that's not because you think a lot of God. That's because you think a lot of you. We all mess up. And a just man becomes just, practically speaking, in his behavior through what? Through consecration, consistency, and faithfulness. It, listen, I, and I, I've seen this. I, I, the, there was a man who's the associate pastor, of the church I grew up at, and was one of the godliest men that I ever met in my life. And the thing that produced godliness in him was not spotlessness. He made mistakes. He messed up like anybody else. But it was just consistency. He just made his mind up. He's going to go in every day and in his own meek spirit, he's going to serve God. And throughout the span of the 80-some years he walked this mortal coil, he exhibited a life of faithfulness and of, of dedication. And it wasn't because he went down to an altar and promised God the moon one day. It's because every day he'd get up and say, well, now Lord, I need you. And I'm willing to lean on you today because I can't do it in and of myself. Every time he messed up, you better believe in 80-something years, he messed up. He got back up again. And he said, I'm not gonna let this bury me. It, listen, quitting is not the will of God. Somebody needs to hear that. I don't know who, but I, but the Lord wants me to say it again, so I'm gonna say it again. Quitting is not the will of God. Saying, I've messed up. I'm just going to quit serving God. I'm going to quit on church. I'm going to quit on my Bible. I'm going to quit on God's people. I'm going to quit on witnessing because I messed up. Listen, I'm so sorry for you. Welcome to the club. I'm sorry you got to run with us reprobates. But we all mess up. So don't quit. Just get up and keep going. I see the determination of the just man, but then I see the distinction of it. Look at verse verse 60. Let's just read the whole thing. For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall in the mischief. I see the distinction of the just man. There is a difference between him and the wicked man. Again, thinking about that positional and practical, there of course is a positional difference, which is this, if you're saved by the grace of God, no matter how many times you mess up, you're still going to be a child of God. And you're still going to go to heaven when you die. And if a person is lost, no matter how many times he keeps his promises or behaves himself in a moral way, he's still going to die in his sins and he's still going to go to hell. Being right with God by the blood of Jesus is the thing that makes a man just. And it is the thing that makes a difference, a distinction in his life. Uh, we, understanding that we are not amazing in of ourselves, there's nothing about us that is... Is uh, glorying, or or is is uh, I hate to say redeemable because he redeemed us, but but in our perspective, redeemable, nothing valuable about us. Then, of course, when we mess up, we'd say, "Wow, well, to get up and go on," because it doesn't surprise us. It's not an indictment against us. We already knew we weren't anything. We knew we were but dust. But see, uh, the reason that failure is so final to the unsaved man is because he was under the uh, delusion that he was pretty awesome, that he was pretty good. This is part of the reason. This is what's going to lead to the great deception during the tribulation period. Our world, as it has become more and more immoral, is having to yield itself more and more to deception to more and more maintain the notion of self-righteousness. It's getting harder for them to suspend disbelief and pretend like they're good people as wickedness is running rampant and washing like a wave over society. And so deception is getting stronger. But for the just man, he's under no delusion that he was good in the first place. And so, of course, he has the wherewithal and the motivation to rise up again. But the wicked, no matter what he does, he falls into mischief. But then I would say this. When a man makes his decision that he's not going to get up and go on and serve God, can I? how do I say this? You've messed up, okay? You can either get right and get up and get going and serve God. Or you can stay right where you're at and you're just going to do worse. That's your choice. The wicked man, when he falls, hey, the just man, when he falls, he falls and underneath are the everlasting arms. But the wicked man, when he falls, he just keeps falling. He just keeps falling. How is it more noble to quit than it is to get up and go on? How is it more noble to pretend as though there's no need to ask God's forgiveness than it is to admit what you and God both know, and then ask His forgiveness and get up and go on and serve Him on another day. I'm saying this, practically speaking, there's a difference in the behavior of a just man and a wicked man. And it's not that a just man never falls. Of course he falls. But it's that he makes the decision consciously to say, I've messed up, but God didn't mess up. I was unfaithful, but He's never unfaithful. Therefore, if I fix my unfaithfulness... I can rely on his faithfulness and I can go on and serve him another day. But the wicked man, because he thought he was incredible and thought that he was able in his own strength to be moral and to be righteous, it is a great blow to his ego when he learns that he is not any of those things. And so he just spirals. Which are you? You've messed up. I've messed up. We've all messed up at times in our life. So what do we do? Do we just sit there uh, start sort of pawing around and and, and taking spadefuls of dirt out trying to get a head start for the undertaker? Is that what we do? Or do we make up our mind that we're going to get up and, and go to the Lord, ask His forgiveness, correct whatever is wrong in our life, and get up and go on and serve God? You ain't the first person ever messed up. I, this ain't the last time you're going to mess up. So you might as well just make your mind up that your failure will not be final and you're going to get up and go on and serve God another day let's bow together tonight as musician comes to play the altar is open and i invite you to meet the lord in this altar you might have somebody in your life that you're burdened about because you have seen their failure uh, bury them you've seen them get so hung up so messed up over some mistake that they've made in their life something that they've allowed to happen that they have just quit on god and your heart's troubled for them will not you come down and lift their name up to the lord Ask God to work in their in their heart and mind. Ask God to give them the, the comfort and the peace they need to go on to serve them another day. Well you might be here today and you've allowed something in your life. You've uh, in some way disobeyed the Lord, disappointed the Lord, and you'd say, Preacher, I, I just I know what I need more than anything, is just to get up and go on and serve him another day. Won't you meet him in this altar? Ask his forgiveness, ask him to make right what's been wrong, and make your mind up that you're going to go on and serve him another day. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.